which was around uh, a lady posted something on, uh, on the internet, and, uh, which apparently went viral, which apparently is a good thing. I don't know. It sounds bad, but apparently this is a good thing among people who are into that sort of thing. And um, it was about a wedding present that she'd given. So Paul and Anna, I want to prick your ears up here about you know, the etiquette of receiving wedding presents. But she said this, she said, I recently attended an ex-colleague's wedding where, in response to a request for cash gifts, I sent what I thought was a pretty decent cheque, £100, in fact, which sounds very decent to me, but then maybe I'm just stingy, I don't know. It says, last night I received an email which opened with a few comments about how glad they were to see everyone and how generous they'd all been. Then said... We were surprised that your contribution didn't seem to match the warmth of your good wishes on our big day. In view of your own position, if you wanted to send any adjustments, it would be thankfully received. Can you imagine? I I can't imagine receiving it, but I can't imagine having the the guts to send that email. So this lady had given, not not to a member of her family or someone that was really close, to an ex-colleague had given a wedding present of £100. And they emailed back to say, oh, would you like to give a bit more? I cannot imagine uh, what that would be like. And uh, so, you know, I'm sure Paul and Anna, you know, will gratefully receive any wedding presents they receive on the 3rd of September when they're getting married, which is quickly coming around. But um, it, it kind of um, made me think about uh, the value that we put on things, the value maybe that we put on uh, people particularly. And uh, this morning, I want to look at um, a man's encounter with Jesus, where Jesus expresses something of how much he values him. And it follows very much on uh, from what Sally was speaking about last week and uh, last last week and the, the next few weeks we want to kind of have a bit of a series around people encountering Jesus so last week Sally um, spoke about the the woman who um, anointed Jesus with this perfume this pure nard and those of you who were here will remember how Sally anointed Jared with a bottle of old spice has the smell gone away yet Jared <laughs> Maybe I should ask Jen about whether it's, uh, it's gone away. Um, but last week we saw about this woman and how she expressed something of the value that she put on Jesus in ministering to him with this precious, precious perfume. Well, this morning I want to look at how Jesus values a man in the way that he encounters him and ultimately brings him freedom. So we're going to read from Mark's Gospel, from Mark chapter 5, and we're going to read verses one to 20. Um, This is talking about Jesus and his disciples. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. 
And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had, previ- who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that when we read your word, Lord, faith rises in our hearts. That when we read and hear your word, Lord, that you speak to us, that you minister to us, that change happens. And we want to pray this morning, Lord, as we look at how uh, the Lord Jesus encountered this man, all those years ago, Lord, we want to pray that you would help us to understand how, how the Lord Jesus wants to encounter us today. His passion, his desire, his power to enable that to happen. So Lord, we pray that by your spirit, Lord God, that you would speak to us, you would minister to us and help us to connect with you through your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I guess a fairly well-known passage from the Gospels here about something really um, demonstrative, really kind of impressive, really wow that Jesus does. An incredible miracle, something that demonstrates his power and authority. He encounters a man so clearly troubled, um, which is probably to put it lightly, you know, so kind of, well, the text tells us that he's really, he's demonized, he's affected by the power of the satanic and the demonic, and it's impacting him in all sorts of ways, in terms of living amongst the tombs, living among dead people, you know, cutting himself, violently angry, and uh, you can understand why people wouldn't want to go near him, really. And there are loads of fascinating details in this passage, you know, that we could look at it in terms of sin and the effect of sin, the power of uh, the demonic Jesus power, you know, uh, Jesus' authority. There's so many things we could spend quite a few weeks looking at this passage. But today I want to really focus on this man's encounter with Jesus rather than the kind of demonic encounter per se, to consider how the man encountered Jesus rather than how the, the demons encountered Jesus. And this man was certainly in a desperate situation. We're not told how long he'd been like this, but it kind of feels like it's been for some time, maybe even years. And, uh, and you can kind of understand how people are a little kind of reticent to get close to you know, this guy who's kind of uh, violent and angry and clearly uh, oppressed, but oppressive as well. But I think one of the interesting things is he's still a man, isn't it? 
you know, he, he would have been a baby. He would have grown up as a boy. You know, we don't know any of that backstory. We don't know any of his history. We don't know how he got to this point. But, you know, it's so easy just to see this kind of raging madman. Once upon a time, he, you know, he'd been a baby with some parents and, you know, being a child. I'm sure he never dreamed, you know, his boyhood dream was to be in this situation that he finds himself in now. But, you know, however he got to this point, he's here nonetheless. Can you imagine what it must have felt like for him? You know, the talks about uh, the, the, the demons kind of refer to themselves as legion. And uh, a Roman legion of soldiers could include up to 6,000 people. You know, there's clearly uh, a, a lot going on. He might not have been afflicted by, you know, 6,000 different demons, but he's clearly oppressed He's anguished, he's hurting himself, he's restless. He is a tortured soul. Can you imagine what that must feel like for the man? Can you imagine what it must be like to be you know, bound by an issue for years to be trapped and oppressed? And I guess, of course, the reality is so many people are in that situation, maybe not to the extent of this man to be quite so uh, demonstratively um, oppressed. But so many people are, aren't they? You know, you, uh, unless you live as some kind of hermit, you know, and never leave your house, every day we meet people who are affected by maybe past hurts, by things that have happened to them, who are, are kind of bound by, um, you know, fear perhaps. You know, you don't have to go very far to meet people who are afflicted in some way or another, who are controlled by fear, circumstances, abuse, history, whatever it might be. And actually, even as Christians, even as people who know the Lord Jesus, who have experienced, you know, so much change and so much breakthrough, there can still be issues that control us and that trap us. I still remember... Um, the, the testimony of, of Sadie Basford, who you know went to be with the Lord just a few weeks ago. But I remember um, quite a few years ago on a, a ladies' encounter that we had a weekend, and she talked about the fact that when she'd been a child, um, I think she'd been poorly as a child, so she'd missed some, some time in school. And so when she went back to school, essentially because she was behind all her classmates, she was effectively you know put in the corner and you know treated like the class dunce. And then a few years ago, when we were having this encounter weekend, really God revealed to her how this had shaped how she saw herself. It was something that she had carried for 70 years, and it had affected kind of what she thought she was able to do. It had controlled her. Even as Christians, there are things in our life that can uh, trap us. And while it might not be as extreme as the, uh, the account we read about in this passage, it's no less real or significant to those involved. Whether it's depression, whether it's patterns of thinking, emotional trauma, fear and anxiety, you know, cycles of sin, it's not being able to break out of things. It says in Proverbs 18 verse 14, the human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? Proverbs 13 verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I think those proverbs express something of the deep anguish that we can feel 
within us and how, you know, this man must have felt. But then he encounters Jesus. He encounters Jesus. And I want to just pick out two or three things about how Jesus responds, not just to the demons, but to the man. And the first thing is this, that others could see what this man had become, but Jesus could see who he was. Others could see what he had become, but Jesus could see who he was. I think sometimes when we read this passage, it's quite hard to distinguish the man from the demons. You know, we sometimes refer to the man as legion, but I think the context makes it clear this is the demons who are speaking to Jesus, not the man per se, not, you know, the man in his right mind. And it's sometimes hard to distinguish who's speaking here. Is this the man we're talking about or is this the demonic influence that's at work in the man? But Jesus was clearly able to distinguish. Part of being able to diagnose the problem and understand what was going on here means that we have to distinguish. To be able to say, this isn't just you this is a demonic influence, you know, this, and, and that's kind of really important for us, isn't it, that we can get so bound up in our issues, but Jesus can come along and say, you know, this isn't just you, this isn't the way that you were made, this isn't just your temperament, or because you're quirky, or anything like that, this is you, this is the demonic influence, and Jesus was able to see beyond that, you know, when our problems become entwined with our identity, it can be really problematic. And sometimes when you share the gospel with people, when you tell people about the message of salvation, about God's heart to uh, set them free from sin, you can get a, a, a real adverse reaction to the message of the gospel from some people because it feels like you're not just challenging their behavior, but you're challenging their identity because their identity is so wrapped up in their sinful behavior. And that can be really problematic and hard to uh, and, and unentangle it, really. It can be hard to distinguish the person from the problem. But Jesus saw beyond the problems. And uh, we sometimes talk about that, don't we, as a, a kind of characteristic of leaders, to be able to see the gold and see the potential, you know, as people who are called to be disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. You know, sometimes we can meet people who will present with 101 reasons why this might be problematic, kind of working out this call in their lives. And as leaders, we need to be able to see beyond that, to be faithful to the call and commission of God, to be aware of challenges, but not to be put off by them. And um, just as I've been musing on this passage in this talk for the past couple of days, um, actually, this, this thought has been really helpful as I've been sort of praying for the guys in my cell and things like that. Not that I'm saying they're kind of full of problems or anything like that, but just actually that sense of really kind of recognizing the power and the potential of seeing the gold. There's a, a famous story, I don't know whether it's true, it might be one of those apocryphal stories about Michelangelo um, and uh, how he made his, uh, his statue of David, you know, after he conquered Goliath. And the, the story goes that the Pope said to Michelangelo, you know, how do you know what to cut away? And Michelangelo's reply is, it's simple, I just remove everything that doesn't look like David. And, uh, and, you know, it might be really simple for Michelangelo or someone like that. But th- this idea that actually the, the statue's already in there, I just need to remove the other things that are stopping you seeing the statue. And I think it's a really powerful um, illustration. You know, whereas other people looked at this man and just saw a block of stone and saw all the hard edges, 
Actually, Jesus knows that underneath it all, there is a man, there is a person. And, uh, and it's a challenge, I think, to how we can see people sometimes, but equally how we can react to issues for ourselves. You know, sometimes um, it's possible when we kind of identify issues in our own life that we can react and try to cover those up. You know, and I guess, you know, sometimes for men, it's about kind of putting on a bit of bravado or this kind of alpha male persona. And maybe sometimes it, uh, for, for ladies, it might be kind of, you know, sort of putting on a bit, bit too much makeup or speaking a bit too loudly. There's some sort of fairly classic kind of ways in which we can try and cover up. But do you know what? Jesus sees past it all. Some, sometimes uh, I think there's a really kind of tragic phenomenon for some people that actually they... they sort of become complicit when they see issues in their life. So you kind of get this phenomenon, don't you? Sometimes people who've been kind of rejected, that they will dress or act in a way in which almost like is self-fulfilling that causes other people to reject them and enables them to say, oh, the reason you're rejecting me is because of the way I dress or the way I behave. But it essentially embraces kind of some issue in our life. Whether we're trying to kind of comply or whether we're trying to cover up, Jesus sees past it all. He is able. He's able to do what sometimes we find really hard to do because our problems can shout so loudly. I think it's really interesting when you read the passage in verses 3 and 4. It talks about this man lived in tombs. No one could bind him, not even with a chain. He'd been chained hand and foot. He tore chains apart. He broke irons. You know, he he cry out, he cut himself. You know, the description just puts you off, doesn't it? It speaks so loudly of problem, problem, problem. How are we ever going to overcome? Well, Jesus is able. Jesus is able to see beyond it. And this isn't about kind of marketing or having a positive attitude. It's about having perspective, the right perspective. As a church, recently we've been reading and uh, looking at the book of Nehemiah. And for me, Nehemiah is a great story all about overcoming obstacles. You know, there's so many reasons. You know, Nehemiah called by God to go and restore Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. And there's so many obstacles, so many reasons why this is a bad idea, why this is doomed to fail. You know, you're building with rubble. You know, the enemies are surrounding themselves, you know, threatening to attack. You know, what can Nehemiah do? He's just a cupbearer to the king. You know, Israel have been back in Jerusalem for years and nothing's happened so far. So why does Nehemiah think he's going to do anything different? There's so many reasons why this is a bad idea. And Nehemiah was aware of all of them, but he could see beyond them to the finished war and the restoration of Jerusalem. He had a different perspective. So Jesus could see who this man was, where others could just see what he'd become. The second thing to say is that others could see the cost, but Jesus could see the prize. Others could see the cost, but Jesus could see the prize. So this man had problems, but Jesus set him free. It's really important that we mention that fact. It's quite significant, isn't it? He had so many problems. And Jesus set him free from them. And in so doing, he allowed the the demons that had been torturing this man and afflicting him to go into 2,000 pigs. So they ran down a hill, drowned, and died. And like uh, Sally talked about last week about the woman who put that pure nod on, on Jesus, people can complain at the expense and the cost of, you know, the cost of this man's freedom. 2,000 slaughtered pigs. And let's be clear, these pigs belonged to someone. They weren't just kind of random pigs on the hillside. They belonged to someone who had just lost their livelihood, probably. 
But the, the, these guys, it would seem, didn't think, oh, wow, you know, or wonder at this man in his right mind and the transformation. Or even think, well, this is really bad, but this guy can set people free from demons. Maybe he can help me with my problem now that I've just lost my livelihood. They didn't think any of that. They murmured, they complained. They just couldn't get beyond the cost. They couldn't get beyond the cost. Now, uh, the internet is a wonderful thing, isn't it? I was kind of thinking, you know, I've been preaching for quite some time now, and uh, I know you'd think I'd be better at it by now, but I have been preaching for quite some time now. And I was kind of thinking, actually, when I first started preaching, you know, I I could probably look at that and think, oh, I wonder how much a pig costs. Oh, well. But now, thanks to the internet, you know, how much does a pig cost? So uh, you could buy a pig for about 50 quid, So, uh, um, which, you know, is pretty pretty good, isn't it, really? So 2,000 pigs, that would be... That would be quite a lot of money, wouldn't it? No, that would be £100,000. And, uh, you know, assuming you might get some bulk discount for 2000 you know, maybe £50,000 or something like that. Um, and, and so, you know, the, 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 kind of the cost of pigs, £50,000, that's not, you know, a, a small cost, is it? And um, um, I was thinking about that and thinking, well, actually, yeah, but, you know, cost of some kind of NHS operations and things like that is massive. But it's a bit different when somebody else is paying for it, isn't it? When it's me that has to pay £50,000, well, actually, that is a significant cost. But one man's cost is another man's value. And it says something to me about how much Jesus valued this crazy social outcast who he didn't see as a crazy social outcast. It was the man that he valued. And, uh, you know, Jesus puts value on each and every one of us. He paid a great price for us. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus puts a high price, not just on that man, but on each and every one of us not with silver or gold or pigs, but the precious blood of Jesus. And um, I remember, I might have mentioned this before, but many years ago when I was a student worker, uh, I remember once being asked to go and um, give a, a, a talk um, at a, a cafe or a restaurant or something like that. So it's sort of fairly, um, it's kind of quite a light talk um, uh, and uh, so I was kind of thinking about it. Often in that sort of uh, setting, doing an evangelistic talk, I try to kind of think about, you know, something to kind of connect with people. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I do remember another time when I got asked to go and speak at a Greece night that uh, somebody was doing. And, you know, I sort of turned up all ready to, you know, a bit of John Travolta and stuff like that, only to be met with someone who went, Opa! Calimera! And, you know, and I got it completely wrong. But never mind. That, that's another story. But, you know, I tried to kind of think, oh, what, what will kind of connect with people? And I, I remember sort of preparing this, um, th- this kind of talk about, oh, how crazy it seems to be a Christian. You know, kind of all the reasons why it might be a bad idea, you know, having to get up on a Sunday morning and kind of some of the things that it entails. And I th- thought of, you know, got this, put some gags in there, you know, I thought it was quite good. And I thought, right, I need to talk about, uh, I need to, to get the gospel in there somehow. How do I uh, do this? And then kind of, you know, the penny dropped. There, there was me thinking about, oh, like how from the world's point of view, it seems crazy to be a Christian. And yet when you look at it from God's point of view, you know, he gave his son who shared blood, who went through the most incredible 
you know, unbelievable, unimaginable pain and suffering and anxiety, both physical and spiritual. And he got me. He got us. You know, does that make sense? Does that seem like a fair transaction? Doesn't that seem, you know, crazy? He paid such a price to get us. He put such a value on us. Whereas others get hung up on the cost. Jesus sees the prize. I think it's interesting as well. So Jesus is here is in a, uh, a non-Jewish area. He's uh, crossed into this area, the Decapolis, a place where pigs are being bred. And pigs are obviously um, abhorrent and sinful to Jewish people. And it's an interesting kind of analogy. It's not just that people can value other things, but people can value what is sin and what is abhorrent to God. The attitude, the actions that God says are wrong and Jesus died to set us free from. Others see the cost. Jesus could see the prize. And then the third thing that I want to say is about how others can hear fear and Jesus can speak faith. I think a fascinating part of this account you know, it's incredible enough what Jesus did and how he set this man free and how he had compassion on him and the lengths he was willing to go to. I think a fascinating part is what happens next. And the fact, in verse 17, it says that the people ask Jesus to leave. I mean, can you believe it? They've just seen this man who is out of his mind, who is afflicted by demons, who is cutting himself, who is you know, can't be bound by chains. And then suddenly Jesus comes along and the man is totally transformed. Like, can you imagine seeing anything so incredible? What's their response? Please, can you go away? Please, can you? I just don't get it. Why do they react when they see the transformation of this? Well, I think the passage tells us why. There's a couple of clues there. First is, In verse 15, it tells us they saw that man and they were afraid. They felt fear. There is something going on here. We don't understand that it's outside our frame of reference. You know, we cannot handle it. And then the second thing is in uh, verse 16. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. So who was it that told these people asking Jesus to leave about what had happened was the people who owned the pigs, the people who, for whom the cost was so great, the people who had lost out, that the narrative they were hearing came not from the man and not from God, but from the people whose pigs had just died. And it's a, a, a real challenge, I think, about the, the kind of commentary and the narrative that we hear. Jesus speaks powerfully and authoritatively to the demons, and also to the man. So this man, in response to what has happened to him, says to Jesus that he wants to follow him. He wants to go with him. But Jesus didn't let him, it says in verse 19, and says, go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And again, we could talk some more about how an encounter with Jesus precedes discipleship and provokes discipleship and promotes discipleship. But I think the significant thing here is, although Jesus said you know, that he wasn't to follow him, he gave him a clear direction, spoke authoritatively to the man, says, this is what you need to do. 
Because Jesus was able to recognize that despite this man's recent history, a different future was possible. You know, when we consider what Jesus can do, when we look at the Bible, you know, are we able to receive it like that man did? Or like those people, do we hear a wrong commentary? Or is there fear? You know, if I believe, how do I cope if, you know, I don't experience breakthrough or if Jesus does something challenge? You know, there's a real challenge, isn't there, to getting a new identity because actually we're kind of uh, attached to our old one. And yet I think for many of us, like this man, there's probably a desire for something different, for change, to break out of those you know, uh, emotional challenges to break free from the, the past that binds us and controls us or emotions that hold us back. But this passage clearly shows that Jesus has love and has compassion, but he also has power and authority. What a combination. What a revelation. What hope that brings. We see how this man was changed through his encounter with Jesus. And in wrapping up, I just want to ask us that question. Do we want an encounter with Jesus? Would we like to meet with this Jesus who sees beyond our flaws, who sees beyond the things that are wrong at the moment, who is able to deal with them, who can see a better future and is willing to pay the price to get it. I wonder whether we can pray in response to this and just ask Jesus to meet with us in whatever situation we're in at the moment. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for what we see in this passage of your heart, of your approach, Lord. We want to thank you for the way that you had such love and compassion on this man, that you were able to see beyond, Lord, the, the how he was presenting under the demonic influence and to want to set the man free to be who he was made to be, to, to set the man free to follow, to be obedient, to be a witness to you and your power and your authority and your love and your compassion. Lord Jesus, we want to pray that you would help us, Lord God, where we need change and where we need to break out of cycles of sin or of hurt, Lord, where we're affected by trauma, Lord, where words spoken over us in the past, whether by parents or people in authority, where they are, holding us back, where we're trapped in a past identity. Lord Jesus, would you help us? Would you help us, Lord? I want to encourage you, if you can relate to what we've been talking about, praying, if you're aware of an issue, a thing in your life that is, that is binding you, that's holding you back, that is trapping you, I want to encourage you just to pray where you are and to speak to the Lord. I think there's something powerful about admitting actually who we really are 
beyond the beyond the bravado, beyond the persona, beyond the, the, the front that we're putting up, to admit what's going on to Jesus who knows it anyway. Lord, Lord, we want to humbly come before you, Lord God, and just to remove, Lord, any disguises, just to remove any ways in which we've covered up, any ways in which we have embraced sin, Lord God. We want to pray for your forgiveness, Lord God, and we want to pray that you would set us free. Lord, we thank you for the value that you put on each and every one of us, Lord God. And I want to pray, Lord God, that you would um, supernaturally, spiritually, Lord God, help us to get that. Lord God, that you would pour your love into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Lord God, that you would help us to understand that we are not that afflicted person, that we are not the man or the woman that we see that we have become, Lord God, but that you have a different plan and a different purpose and a different future, Lord God. That this is not what you made us for, Lord God. Lord, would you help us to see right now in this moment, Lord God, beyond the flaws, beyond the faults, Lord God, to understand how you made us and the call that you have on us and the value that you put on us, Lord. Lord, we specifically want to pray about fear, Lord God, where fear stops us coming to Jesus, where fear keeps you at arm's length. Lord, we want to pray again for your love to cast out fear. We want to pray that you would Give us the faith to take that step, to reach out like that woman, subject to bleeding, that who managed to press through all the disgrace and all the shame and press through the crowd and touch your cloak. This morning, Lord, we want to pray that you would help us just to put fear to one side and to reach out and to touch you. And Lord, we want to repent for where the times where we've believed and we've listened to the wrong commentaries, Lord God, of people who said that is not possible, of people who said that is just the way you are, of people who said that's the way it's always going to be. Lord, here and now we want to say no. We want to choose to believe the word of God. We want to believe that nothing is impossible for you, Lord God. We want to believe that you have the power and the authority, that you have the love and that you have the compassion to set us free from the ties that bind, to release us from the negative words spoken over us. Lord God, to set us free from sin and the effects of sin on our life. Would you come and help us now in the name of Jesus? Lord, we do want to pray that you would speak a better word, just like you spoke to that man and that you told him what to do. That he was changed, Lord, and that he wanted to follow you. And that you, you clearly told him, this is what you need to do. And that just resulted in glory and praise to you. And so we want to pray that, Lord God, that you would speak to us, that you would help us to know what to do, Lord.